Welcome to Infection Prevention Spotlight with certified infection control nurse, Kara Mullane. Welcome to the research behind infection prevention, where Dr. Mohamed Yassin provides tough questions to top researchers and leaders in their field. This podcast is a collaboration between Infection Prevention Spotlight and the American Journal of Infection Control. If you're interested to find out more on these topics, please go to the May 2021 edition of AGIC. Today, we have the pleasure to hear from Dr. Sebastian Schultz-Stubner as he discusses his brief report on faucet aerators on drinking water contamination. Also, we'll have Dr. Yassin's summary of their research from PharmD Elisa De Rosa and team on antimicrobial susceptibility trends for urinary isolates in the veteran population. So please stay tuned. The first research we'll be discussing from May 2021 AGIC is titled The Role of Faucet's Aerator Kit for Contamination of Drinking Water by Sebastian Schultz-Stubner et al. This is a summary from Dr. Mohamed Yassin. Aerators were reported to be a source of water contamination. The authors tested different aerator designs' effect on water contamination. Water samples were collected before and after aerator replacement. The water samples were cultured at 22 and 36 degrees centigrade temperature. The cultures were reported as colony-forming units, or CFUs, per milliliter. Identification was performed using Maldatov matrix-assisted laser desorption ionization time-of-flight mass spectrometry. The system was flushed routinely to stimulate normal use. The water was tested twice weekly for eight weeks using baseline period before aerator contamination with Pseudomonas aeruginosa via an artificially contaminated cloth. A swab was taken from the aerator to determine successful contamination. Water samples were taken from the faucets weekly after contamination. The results were as expected. Most of the pathogens were typically environmental water bacteria. The counts were significantly higher before replacing the aerators as compared to after replacement. Samples from the contaminated aerator were positive for Pseudomonas aeruginosa after three weeks. There was no difference between 6 and 12 weeks after use. The aerators were also positive for Pseudomonas aeruginosa regardless of their type. Incubation at 36 degrees Celsius was associated with more CFUs per milliliter. However, aerator culture after sonication produced the same CFUs per milliliter, regardless of incubation temperature. The authors felt retrograde contamination of the aerators could be a mechanism to explain their role in spread of multidrug-resistant waterborne pathogens. Today, we have the privilege to ask Dr. Sebastian Schultz-Stubner a few questions to shed more light on this very important topic. So thank you for joining us. We appreciate your work to demonstrate the role of aerators in potential spread of waterborne bacteria. And we do have a few questions that could help our audience and journal readers understand the role of aerators better. So for question one, do you think shower heads have the same problem as faucet aerators? We did not study shower heads, so I don't have any data for a direct comparison. 
Faucet aerators are in close distance to the drain, so retrograde contamination is relatively easy. Shower heads are usually not that close to the drain, but other modes of retrograde contamination, depending on people's using habits, are possible. You noted the type of bacteria isolated, but we were hoping to ask about non-tuberculose microbacteria and Legionella. Have you encountered them in your samples as well? We only published a representative sample to illustrate the diversity of typical water organisms found. In a few probes, we did detect non-tuberculosis mycobacteria, which are considered to be ubiquitous in water. In this series, we did not detect any Legionella, which are oftentimes found. However, the institution was known not to have any Legionella problems in the past, so we would not have expected any. Legionella can certainly harbor in aerator biofilm, so changing them as part of a Legionella decontamination protocol is reasonable. However, the technical aspects leading to Legionella problems are insufficient warm water temperature and stagnation. It seems from the table you had in the manuscript that sonication brought about the same CFU per milliliter regardless of the incubation temperature. Do you think low-temperature incubation has a specific value for environmental water or aerator sampling? Traditionally, water samples are cultivated by 22 degrees and 36 degrees Celsius. And this is also the procedure mandated by German drinking water regulations, which we used for our microbiological study protocol. The original idea is that low-temperature colony counts might represent natural water contamination and higher-temperature count might indicate more pathogenic organisms because it simulates body temperature. However, in clinical reality, like in our study, the colony counts are often identical and the alarm limits are the same anyway, so I believe there is little specific value for low-temperature environmental water samples in general and no value for aerator samples. You used Maltatov to identify bacterial isolates without using microbiological confirmation. Would you elaborate on benefits and limitations of this approach for environmental cultures? Since the advent of the use of matrix-assisted laser desorption ionization time-of-flight mass spectrometry, or MALDITOV, as a tool for microbial characterization, efforts to increase the taxonomic resolution of the approach have been made. The rapidity and efficiency of the approach have suggested applications not only in medical probes, but in counter-bioterrorism, prevention of food contamination, and monitoring of the spread of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Strain level resolution has been reported with diverse bacteria, so I do think that MALDI is a very powerful tool in the analysis of environmental samples. And final question, would you comment on the recommendations for keeping patient supplies away from faucets to avoid splash contamination? Because natural contamination of the aerators occur, and even the best drinking water does not need to be sterile and some usually non-pathogenic water organisms can produce clinically relevant problems if they contaminate sterile material or medications, we highly recommend to protect so-called clean working areas from splash contamination by either not having a sink nearby at all or using special splash guards. 
Thank you to Dr. Sebastian Schultz-Dubner and team for your great work. For the second summary today from the American Journal of Infection Control from their May 2021 journal, it is titled Antimicrobial Susceptibility Trends for Urinary Isolates in Veteran Population. Author, Alicia DeRosa, PharmD. This summary is from Dr. Mohamed Yassin. This research was conducted by a group from the Veteran Affairs at Western New York Healthcare System, Buffalo, New York. The aim of the study was to evaluate the susceptibility trends of antimicrobials used to treat for urinary tract infections, or UTI, at the veteran health system both inpatient and outpatient nationwide. Urine culture data were retrospectively collected from the electronic medical records of the VA system between 2009 and 2018. Inclusion criteria include adults who are 18 years old or older. The data was divided into four different cohorts according to the geographic locations. We invite the audience of our podcast to review the data in the published manuscript for more details. But in brief, there were 50 to 60,000 urine cultures in 2009 and 2018. E. coli was the most common bacteria isolated from both years with 30% and 37% in 2009 and 2018, respectively. Most common bacteria following were Klebsiella, Proteus, Pseudomonas, and Enterococcus faecalis, with little change between the two years. A detailed antibiogram was constructed which showed not much difference in E. coli susceptibility over the years. Similar observation was seen in the other urinary pathogens as well, since E. coli presented as one-third of urine cultures, and for this reason, it may not be used for empiric antibiotic therapy. The authors noted an increase in resistance to trimethoprim sulfa drugs as resistance exceeded 20% for common urinary pathogens. On the same note, fluoroquinolones had persistently high resistance of around 30%. The data showed ceftriaxone remains as a viable option for empirical UTI therapy. Comments by Dr. Yassin. The study has an important limitation, which is the lack of clinical evaluation or recording of symptoms. This could be prone to errors, including asymptomatic bacteriuria as an infection and thus classify upper urinary tract infection versus lower urinary tract infection. Thank you to the researchers who share their important work with us. With special thanks to Dr. Sebastian Schultz-Stubner for answering our questions so we can go deeper into the research. And thanks to all of you for listening. Remember, if you want to find out more, please do go to the May 2021 edition of AGIC. From the American Journal of Infection Control and Infection Prevention Spotlight, thank you for all you do to prevent infections. Take care, and please remember, wash your hands.